0: Back to Nguanes now. If you're watching on TV, just some of you look out the blinds, it's because there's cops in our parking lot. Uh, thanks for protecting us, Missoula City Police Department. I don't know what's going on out there, but hope everybody's having a uh, safe Friday. I'm having a great Friday. I told you at the very top of the show, I never followed up on it. This is a weekend like no other because we've got a little nice weather, but we still got snow on the mountains. So, only in Montana is there an opportunity to maybe go skiing on one day of the weekend and golfing on the next day of the weekend and watch the NCAA tournament in between. Pretty good life we live here in the Treasure State. And that's why we love talking sports all across the Treasure State, right here on 102.9 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide SWX Montana Television. It is new as now. We do this each and every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. If you missed anything in the first hour of the show, you can check it out on the podcast. Podcast available on all your podcasting platforms, as well as you know, Spotify, iTunes, all that, to search Nuanez now. Rate, review, subscribe. Five-star ratings are always appreciated. We really love the reviews, so keep them coming. And uh, the podcast is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications as well as the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel. Go down to the Rangish Brothers RV phone line and double up the Nuanez on Nuanez now. Brooks Sports MT.com coming to us. Brooks and I spent a lot of time together um, for the first time during the pandemic because, you know, it's been it's been weird times. So We spent a week in Boise together, got to consume Big Sky basketball fully in its duration. And now we're kind of switching gears into football. We were t- brainstorming for these segments earlier the w- in the week and uh, thinking, man, it's been years since we actually watched football. What are the storylines? What are we even going to talk about? So we, we have some good stuff to talk about. We will talk Grizz as well as Bobcat spring football. But first, we got to talk about the news of the day. If you haven't heard, if you missed anything in the first hour of the show, Tanner Groves, Big Sky Conference MVP from Eastern Washington into the NCAA transfer portal. He used the Big Sky regular season and tournament MVP before scoring 35 points against the Kansas Jayhawks in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So we're going down to Rangers Brothers rv 49 Welcome in, Brooks Nuanas And, uh, Brooks, your initial reaction to Tanner Groves on his way out at Eastern Washington.
1: Oh, Coulter, man, it's, it's kind of a bummer is how I perceive it. Uh, bummer. He's a really fun kid. He's a fun kid to watch. You know, I, I I think I was as much as anyone who had slept on Tanner Groves. I told you when he had won the Big Side Conference Player of the Week, a time or two early in the season, I said, that kid that plays about seven minutes from Eastern is the Big Side Conference Player of the Week. Huh? It doesn't seem sustainable. And Then it he keeps chugging along. Finally, I get to see him midseason in Bozeman play Montana State. And what an impressive outing he had there. What an impressive season for a really great kid. I've talked to him several different times, kind of off the record. Um, seems like an awesome family with him and his brother there at Eastern Washington. Both of them out. Uh, not surprised, especially with with Shante Leggins leaving to go, the, uh, to go to Portland. Shantae had been there for the last nine seasons, if I recount that right. So a little bit of yeah, that. Between time as an assistant you know,
0: and the head coach for sure, yes.
1: Right, so I, his fourth season as the head coach. I'm not surprised, but I, I think it's a bummer. You know, I think it's, it's it hurts the league um, in a big way when the MVP transfers after only a junior year, which was a free year, so coming back as a redshirt junior, um, it would have been, you know, some high acclaim for, for Mr. Groves, but we wish him the best of luck.
0: It's cool for him, and the circumstances are definitely unique when it comes to the Eastern transfers, because not only is Shante Leggins out, you also then have an athletic department that's in turmoil. Uh, they just got their... Um, they had a, an outside, a third-party firm that gave them a, a study of here's the options for the future of your athletic department. The number one suggestion was to move down to Division two. The number two suggestion was to stay in Division one. But the fact that that's even a, a presented option, and the fact that it's been talked about amongst the faculty and the administration. Certainly makes for a tenuous situation, so I will not be surprised if more Eagles enter the transfer portal. But more than anything, I just think that this free year is going to just decimate the league in terms of the overall talent. You can say what you want about Michael Stedman at Montana and his inability to fulfill the hype that he had coming into this season as a preseason All-League pick after I never have actually played in the league. But he was a preseason All-League pick. He is into the portal. You know, you talk about Cam Shelton from Northern Arizona, one of the leading scorers in the country He's out. He's into the portal. You talk about the Groves brothers, a couple all-conference players at Eastern Washington, Jacob Davidson, the preseason MVP of the league. Uh, So it's just on down the line. And oh, by the way, Idaho has seven players in the transfer portal. So it's a it's it's ravaging the league right now. Thirty-three men's basketball players from the Big Sky Conference and counting just since the end of the Big Sky tournament. So we'll see where we turn from here. But I think that uh, again. Good for the individual if they're maximizing their opportunities. Good for Tanner Groves, and he might go reunite with Shante Liggins in Portland. Maybe he stays on the West Coast. Maybe he goes and plays in one of the Power Five conferences. I think he could do all of the above, But and it's a good opportunity for him. But at the same time, it does. It, it just really hurts the league if you have guys leaving like that. I mean, what if, what if Larry Kostoviak would have never finished his career at Montana? What if Damian Lillard would have never finished his career at Weber State? Tyler Hall at Montana State. you on down the line. I just, think, I just think that the more we accept this and normalize it, the, the worse it's going to be for mid-major and low-major college basketball conferences.
1: Right. And so how do you stop it? You know, I think once you kind of open the floodgates, as you've mentioned, it really is hard to stop. I think it's good for the player. I am a little bit on the player side as far as player empowerment goes and the ability to control your own future and your own destiny. But it definitely does hurt the college basketball landscape. I hope that it doesn't become the trend, which right now, it's weird times. So maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I think that the opportunity for people to go see, you know, grass is sometimes greener, at least in perspective. It definitely hurts the college basketball landscape.
0: Brooks Nuanez on Nuanez Now. Joining me, Coulter Nuanez. We do this every once in a while. I mean, we'll have you anytime we want. I love having you on the show. Let's talk some football we're going to go back and forth just with various questions about the Grizz and the Bobcats. The Grizz have been going for a couple weeks now. They will have 29 spring practices leading up to their two games against um, Central Washington on April 10th and Portland State on April 17th. If you haven't heard, that, 5,000 fans are going to be able to go to those two games, 5,000 each. So all you got to do for all of the information, I'm not going to bore you with the full thing. I did that yesterday. Go to gogriz.com backslash spring FB, backslash spring FB, and you have all the details on going to those two Grizz football games. The Grizz get 29 spring practices because it's not spring ball, it's fall ball rules, so they're basically doing fall camp in Missoula. The Bobcats, they get their normal amount of spring football practices, 15 of them. It will culminate with the Sunny Holland spring game, which I believe is the weekend after uh, the Portland State game here in Missoula, so I think it's April 24th for the Sunny Holland spring game. Uh, over in Bozeman, uh, so it's going to be completely different formulas here. You have one team that's basically doing fall camp, preparing for two opponents, whereas the Bobcats, a new coaching staff with Brett Vegan and uh, new schemes with new offensive and defensive coordinators. So first of all, let's start there, Brooks. I mean, Bobby Houck has always been uh, famous and infamous for his uh, his love of fall camp and spring ball. He used to have really hard and really demanding spring ball practices. This has to be Bobby Houck's dream come true to be able to get 29 practices in in the spring.
1: I mean, the only thing that would be better for Bobby Houck in Missoula and Montana football would be to have two days during those, because it sounds like it's right up his alley. Now, 29 practices, even when I, you said it, I just repeated it, it sounds like a whole lot, because I think it is. I think that's a ton of practices. Uh, a lot of opportunities, especially for younger players, as well as depth, as well as, you know, players across the board. had Not a lot of football played last calendar year, if we all remember that correctly. I think it's right up Bobby's alley. I think it's probably good for the program. Uh, you, you get to play football, and hopefully in some decent weather. You know, the weather, relatively mild winter. We're going to chug along through spring weather, but hopefully no big snowstorms or anything. Uh, throw it off course. And uh, yeah, like I say, I think it's probably a positive.
0: On the Bobcat side of things, Montana State started spring practice earlier this week. Of course, uh, it was sunny and nice in Bozeman for uh, three or four days leading up to the opening of spring camp. And then, of course, it snowed the day that it opened. That's just how it rolls in Bozeman and in Montana. But uh, just the first broad question about the Bobcats, Brooks, is this team under four seasons and five years of Jeff Choate, they were running pretty unique schemes on both sides of the ball. I guess the best way to describe their offensive scheme would to be uh, to be describe it as a, a spread-option gap scheme where you're spreading teams out, you're using a lot of pre-snap motion, and you're running the ball, but your offensive line principles are a gap-scheme-based. The defensive side of the ball, you could say it's, it's, a, it's a pretty standard 3-4 that really emphasizes length and guys that can run to the ball. Well, now they're going to run. I don't know what they're going to run on offense. They keep trying to say that they're going to try to find the right personnel and then mold a system on offense. Brett Vegan has a tradition of liking to run the football. He also has a good tradition of developing quarterbacks. So we'll see where they're at in terms of what the offense looks like, if it's much the same or much different than a year ago. But on defense, it's certainly going to be different because they're not going to be running an odd man front anymore. They're not going to be running a 3-4. They're not going to have those multiple edge guys, which has been one of, once they had the personnel in place, one of their biggest advantages. Uh, last year, I mean, they played such great edge players while then also playing that big safety, the the, the big nickel, the three-safety look with three safeties in in Braden Conkle, Jacque Allen, and Jojo Henderson. But, Brooks, the question is then, how tenuous is this when you have a program flush with talent that's been running in the same system for five years now implementing new systems on both sides of the ball with coordinators in their early 30s who have never been Division One coordinators? It just seems like, um, it's not as if I don't believe these guys will do it, it just seems like the learning curve is going to be huge and the, and the implementation and acclimation to these new systems is going to be of paramount importance these next 15 practices to get ready for next fall.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, especially defensively. I mean, it's a it's a whole different system when you go from running an odd-man front to a four-man front. The way that Jeff Choate and Montana State have run the last four seasons was a lot of length on the edge, like, you're, like you mentioned. But the front, the nose tackle position in the 3-4 is so unique due to the fact that oftentimes, most every play is they're taking on a double team. So then when the quarterback is out, you have 11 on 10, and then all of a sudden, now you have a nose tackle who takes on a double team, and the defense the defense then gets put in a position of having a two-man advantage, which is huge, and that's where you see Montana State stifling people, um, especially in the running game. They were dominant at in, in all three levels, but the ball, you know, never got downfield on them because a decent pass rush, but able to stop the run so impressively. I think right now, and you and I kind of went through the roster, the edge. There's talent right now, but they're all upperclassmen, if not all seniors, on the edge. And there is some talent and a little bit more depth on the inside. So maybe it's a principle of getting a couple extra inside guys on on the field and seeing how that looks. But, you know, as you mentioned, the learning curve will be big as far as the run fits go are so different in a 4-3. Uh, we talk about personnel-wise, where do you put a guy like Troy Anderson who's mostly played on the edge and got out for the quarterback on third down situations, a guy that likely will play defense more this year than he has in his entire career, and he probably likely put him on the inside at the wheel position, which is a weak side linebacker that really in most four-threes, a lot of stuff gets, gets filtered to. Uh, We've seen a lot of different guys throughout the Big Side Conference run to the ball and finish with huge tackle numbers. When we think of Montana State, I think of Alex Singleton, who's now had a a very lengthy NFL career, uh, most recently with the Philadelphia Eagles rack up 100-plus tackles back-to-back years at the wheel position. It is kind of the, the backside. The when, when running backs like, a, like the fold to back and the cutback lane, the wheel gets a little bit more of a free run than a lot of the strong side does. I think that if you have Trey Anderson in that kind of position, I see him being a tackling machine early on, but it really is a learning curve, and it's different on the back end as well. Montana State, as you mentioned, has had some really good safety play. But what does that look like with a completely different front seven, the way the ball comes out? And the quarterback's hand will look different with the ability to get pressure. So, secondary-wise, things will be different as well on all three levels. It's tough to say it's a mistake because clearly they have intentions. Um, And the the other part is, when you mentioned young coaches, if you've never coached the 4-3 scheme, if you don't have odd-man front experience, it's really challenging to just pick that up and implement it as your own. So, that's probably where it falls back on is, what is the staff at the whole the most comfortable with? And it falls into the 4-3, which I think it'll probably be the most interesting part uh, of the Bobcat offseason this spring. And as you mentioned on offense, I think they need to run the football. They've done that often willingly, often, and successfully. And I, I think that that probably won't change too much. We'll see how they develop quarterback play. We always talk about it. What do you know, Montana State? We're talking about quarterbacks again. Well, Really, they've run the ball all the way to be the number four team in the country. Maybe we don't need to worry about it so much. But as we all know, it's an important position in football.
0: Well, it's like Jeff Phil used to always say: if you run for 275 yards a game, who cares if you can throw the ball? Because you're running for 274 yards a game. So uh, I think that it's a it's a it's a maybe not something that a lot of fans want to see. But I think that when you're when you establish it, it's tried and true. And then you're getting gash plays and averaging almost seven yards per carry, like the Bobcats did in 2019. Who cares if you can throw the football? Because you're going to win a lot of football games like that, especially in the state of Montana. It's Nuana is now 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Maybe you watching it on statewide television, SWX Montana TV. I'm Coulter Nuanas, Brooks Nuanas, SkylineSportsMT.com. Joining me on the Rangage Brothers RV phone line. We're talking Grizz football, Cat football, spring football, but it's a little bit unorthodox because we have not had football for a really long time. So next question about the Grizz, Brooke. Speaking about prolific tacklers, the number one question everybody's wondering about Montana is how do you replace Dante Olson? Well, I think the answer is you don't, but I do think that that doesn't necessarily mean you can't replace his production. They, I don't think the Grizz have a guy on the roster that's going to have 160 tackles. I don't think anybody in the country has a guy on the roster that's going to have 160 tackles. Um, I think that Olsen is a really good player, but he also was in a, the absolute perfect spot for his talents. That's why he won the Buck Buchanan Award. But I, I do think, though, you, you don't necessarily have to take a dip in production by running a, an inside linebacker group by committee, right? I mean, I think that Olsen is not replaceable, but I don't think that's actually as big of a hit to the roster as maybe people think.
1: Yeah, no, there's no... You can't call a player with that level of production and that level of talent replaceable. I do agree, though. It's a committee. We talk about the University of Montana football. I think that if you really take break it down from a fan perspective, a lot of fans would agree that the linebacker position has been the most important position of Montana. We talk about the safety play at Montana. We talk about pass rushers who have racked up sack numbers and really influenced the quarterback, especially late in the season, especially in big games. We talk about a big offensive line and how important that has been to Montana. Oftentimes we talk about the quarterback, even though that position all the way dating back to maybe even Dave Dickinson, we could throw in Craig Oaks has at times not been as important at Montana. I would argue that the linebacker position has been the most productive position, one of the most talented positions and the most important position. So Overall I think that Montana will always have depth at linebacker. It's a position you can recruit from the state of Montana. It's a it's a it's a visible position for fans to watch, it's a visible position for opponents to try to scheme up, but it's really hard to do so when you have talent. I think that Dante Olson is really not replaceable, but I do think, as you mentioned, with committee, you can do some of that with a little bit of depth, but also with scheme. They built it up so well for Dante Olson to be able to have the ability to tackle ball carriers in in space in the open field as well as meet them in the hole usually unabated i think that you can kind of scheme up a little bit differently up front especially with kind of gaps that you're holding and the ability to run to the football from some of the other positions that you can kind of cover it with by committee but he's a he's a a very memorable player and and that production there is very few players no matter how much he schemes it up who could get 160 tackles in the entire country so that's really hard to replace
0: Jace Lewis is a name everybody knows. He was a 100-plus tackle guy last year, so he'll be right there, and he'll have good production as long as he stays healthy. Two other names, I think, to watch for those inside linebacker spots. Marcus wellnell kid out of Hell in the Capital who's put on a lot of weight and looks really, really good. I actually saw him at the gym during the offseason working out, and, yeah, he's strong. He's He's got the look for sure. And then Braxton Hill is another guy. Braxton's old for his grade. He also gray-shirted, so he's a lot more physically mature than a true sophomore that you might expect. So I think those, both those guys... They're right up Montana's alley. I mean, they're right up Coach Alex alley. They're both Montana guys, partial scholarship guys coming out of high school. they hard workers. They're tough. They're mean. They're running the ball. So I think they have a chance to contribute as well. Brooks Sports MT.com. joining us on the Rangers Brothers RV phone. Then we're going back and forth, pressing questions about both Montana and Montana State as they march through spring football. Back to the Bobcats, we talked about the scheme change defensively, and I do think that on one hand it is a tenuous situation trying to change away from a three-four scheme, especially with the personnel Montana State has in place. They have perfect personnel for a three-four scheme when you talk about being able to play Troy Anderson, Daniel Hardy, and Amandre Williams all on the edge on those you know between the the buck and the outside linebacker Sam spots in that three-four. They also have a perfect guy to play on the inside at that nose spot in Chase Benson. I think that. Callahan O'Reilly and Nolan Askelson and um, maybe Michael Jobman if he he ends up playing inside linebacker as well. Those guys are more like 3-4 inside linebackers than true Mikes in a 4-3. So it is going to be an adjustment for that front seven uh, for Montana State. That said, you mentioned Troy Anderson probably playing Will linebacker, which puts him a little bit more in the box. But I do think if they filter a lot of stuff to him, he'll have a chance to have a huge year in terms of tackling. But my question is, Exactly this. I think he'll. You're, you're right. He'll be a prolific tackler early on, but I think you have to build up the endurance of taking that beating. And obviously, Troy Anderson is a physical specimen. He's six foot four, two hundred forty, two hundred forty-five pounds. He runs like the wind. He's built like a Greek god. I mean, he's one of the most physically gifted players in the history of the Big Sky Period. I mean, there's just no question about it. That said, he has not ever had to endure. The full rigors of playing inside the box in an inside linebacker position for the duration of a season. Never. He never played that in high school. He was a safety in high school. And I know he's played so much football. I mean, the guy had 250 plus carries as a quarterback as a sophomore, and he was a first team all league player as a quarterback, which was not even close to the position he was recruited as. He's been prolific as a running back and a wildcat quarterback and playing off the edge. I mean, he's first team all league at outside linebacker in 2019. Was only playing part time. That said, it's all completely different than playing in the box as a will linebacker. So, what sort of learning curve does Troy Anderson face now that he's playing defense full time?
1: I think it's probably, as you mentioned, due to his talent, probably a a bit smaller than it would be for most guys, as well as the talent around him. I think that, you know, you can't understate this isn't a team, this isn't an upstart front seven. This isn't a team that hasn't played a lot of snaps at every single one of these positions. I think Troy Anderson, you mentioned the amount of carries he took at quarterback, the amount of carries he's taken at running back. There's a similar beating that you take as a running back, if not more, than playing Will Linebacker. I think that there's more of a schematic learning curve as far as the instinctual ports of the game that we all know Troy Anderson thrives at, no matter what. He's a first-team-all-league quarterback. I mean, as a guy who doesn't play quarterback in a league that throws the ball, it's pretty impressive. So we get his instinctual Uh, Is instinctual abilities while playing the game of football. But it's a little bit different when you're inside. Like you say, on the edge, usually you have one arm free, and you don't really have to look on your blind side there. But inside, you have to have your head on a swivel, and you have to cover the pass a little bit different as well. When you're primarily a pass rusher on third-down situations, which they very well could still do with him, I don't see why you wouldn't. Um, You still have to cover tight ends and running backs out of of the, the backfield and the flats a little bit differently. And those things, there's a learning curve. But as we started to develop the Troy Anderson narrative of his physical abilities over the last couple of years and heard from coaches and coaches and players and players, they started to be this thing that came out of, well, he's also a chalkboard guy. He's also a film room guy. He picks up stuff as fast as anyone. I think that'll be really important as far as his, his ability and his maturation of the position. But, of course, there'll be a learning curve when it, when it's a new scheme and, and a position you've never played, shorter for other for him than other people, I believe.
0: It is fascinating. I, I talked to Ty Rack extensively, uh, former Montana and Montana State assistant coach on this show and off the record as well. And I mean, Ty said it's it's not just a uh, company line. It's not just hyping the guy up. He said he's truly never coached a player like Troy Anderson in the fact that When Jeff Cho used to call him a one-rep guy, that's really what he is. He really can just take one or two reps at something and have it mastered as well as a guy that's done it for a year or two years worth of practice. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's a true gift. I mean, he's a football genius in the fact that he can. I mean, he'd never played running back in his life, and he scored a touchdown against Washington State in his first college game because he just knew how to figure it out. I mean, I remember the first time we ever saw him at practice playing running back. It's like, what is going on? They got a six foot four guy playing running back. Oh, oh by the way, he's the, one of the best running backs I've seen. So he is truly amazing talent. Brooks Nuanas, joining us on the Rangers Brothers RV phone line here on Nuanas now. Take a break. we got some more questions about the Grizz and the Bobcats as we march through our analysis of spring football, both sides of the continental divide. Keep it right here, 1029 ESPN, Missoula.
3: to more What's up, Montana?
0: Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're having a great Friday. Hope you got some great plans for the weekend. Still snow on the mountains, but the golf courses are opening up. NCAA tournament is in full force. Sweet 16 gets underway tomorrow. Major League Baseball starts next week. All sorts of stuff going on. It's a great time of year. Great time to be alive. Great time to live in the state of Montana. This is Nuana's Now, 1029 ESPN Missoula. We do this each and every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. Right here on 1029, as well as SWX Montana Television if you want to get a hold of us? 406 368 me 3688 361 3688 All guests join us via the Rankage Brothers RV phone line. And that's where we continue to go as we continue our spring football analysis, talking both Grizz and Bobcat football. Uh, stick with the cats, Brooks. We talked about some of those talented players on both sides and how they replaced those guys. But uh, I want to talk to you about the Montana State guys that don't need to be replaced. I think that the probably the, the biggest advantage that Brett Vegan, the new head coach at Montana State inherits, is the fact that he has among, if not the most talented and most veteran offensive line in the Big Sky Conference. You have multiple All-American candidates in Lewis Kidd and Taylor Tuiasosopo. I think if Connor Wood takes the next step as a redshirt junior, he could also be an All-American candidate. He already has Big Sky, All-Big Sky accolades to his resume. I think if Zach Red takes the next step, he could be an All-Conference guy as well. And then you bring in Cole saying he was a very talented kid uh out of the trinity league down in california but he's got montana ties he actually grew up in hamilton and he initially played for the grizz he started two games as a true freshman ended up leaving went to a junior college and then returned to montana but not next to his previous home in the Bitterroot valley but instead coming to montana state and he also has some young guys on the offensive line that i think could have some upward potential As well, guys like T.J. Sessions, who was a freshman uh, back in 2019, that really flashed to us, who by all uh, accounts has then put on the necessary weight. Um, Jacob Kettles was another young offensive lineman that Montana State had that now has had two years worth of development to maybe get himself in the mix. On the other side of the coin, they did lose a couple of depth guys that were pretty darn solid. Jake Sessions had never started before, and when Connor Wood got hurt last year, I guess in the 2019 year, Sessions slid in at right tackle and played, uh, I guess he p- switched between right tackle, right guard, but he played a lot on that right side, and he was really solid at Montana State. He got his degree, so he decided to move on, not play his final season of football. And Denver Krohn, a guy who started at center on and off uh, during his la- what ended up being his last year uh, at Montana State, uh, an Augusta native but by way of Shoto, he also uh, graduated and decided to move on as well. So those two guys, that does hurt your depth because they did have experience. They played in games. But, Brooks, I guess the question is, how does this offensive line live up to the height? Because it seems as if everybody's just really relying on them to be the best in the league. So I think that that's what they need to be. They need to be that for this coaching transition to uh, really go as smoothly as they want, especially with implementation of the offensive and defensive schemes.
1: Yeah, I think the easiest way or the most direct way that they live up to their potential is for the coaching staff to use them as such. I think that would probably be the biggest mistake Montana State could make was to get away from some of the most intangible pieces of the offense the last four years, which is running the football and being aggressive, downhill, physical, uh, up front. I I do think talent-wise, size-wise, experience-wise, Montana State probably has the best offensive line in in the conference, as you mentioned. So I think that overall, it's almost don't overthink it. It's kind of let the road graders grade. Let them go because those kind of guys, especially with some time off, you know, there's a lot of guys that play that that start early in their career in offensive line. The great ones, by the time they're seniors, most of them last. There's a couple guys that can get out there and get you know close to 50 starts in their career, but sometimes the miles start to wear on you. I think this last off season, or the 2020 season where no fall and now limited spring is being played is probably good for some of those guys with a lot of miles. I think you don't overthink it. I think you run the football and you use them as your, your focus featured group on offense and as a team as a whole, and you let it ride because it took you to the, the semifinals last year. I think that they're just good enough to do it again.
0: We talked about the, the gap schemes that they ran these last couple of years too, and I think that yeah, you know, not to bore people with the really detailed football junkie type stuff, but the broadest way to, to just uh, to describe a gap scheme is it's it's not zone blocking. It's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of pulling guards and down blocks and and stuff like that. Taylor Tuyasasopo, Lewis Kidd, those two guys are both so athletic for how big they are. I think you still need – you have to have that element of your offense because those guys are the best when they're on the move. Those guys are the best when they're leading the way through the hole. When Taylor Sopo gets ahead of steam, I mean, he's, he's like a rhinoceros coming through the hole. I mean, he's just so big and strong and athletic that uh, I think you have to continue to utilize that. So I, I think that if they realize that early on, I think that that will be something that's pretty um, – Tried and true. Montana on the Grizz side of things. Brooks, new dot SportsMT.com joining us, breaking down both Grizz and Bobcat football. So back to the Grizz. Big storyline out of Grizz camp is... Is Cam Humphrey going to be the starter? He's been in the program for two years. He started games when Dalton Sneed was hurt the last two years. But they're having a quarterback competition at Montana. They brought in multiple transfers in Kirk Riegel and Robbie Patterson. Kirk Riegel by way of South Florida. And Robbie Patterson by way of Saddleback Community College, which is actually where Cam Humphrey initially transferred from as well. And then you also have upstart guys like Chris Brown, who's gotten a lot of internal hype. A kid from Bozeman, Montana. And then Carson Rostad, who's also got good returns, hearing a lot of good things about the Hamilton High School quarterback, who's a technically a true freshman, but he's been in the program now for more than a year. That's the other interesting part is that you have, you know, Rossad arrived on campus uh, in the summer of 2020, and so he's been there. for. Uh, by the time next fall rolls around, he'll have been there for a full year without re- ever burning any eligibility, so that could aid his development as well. But I guess the broad question is, Brooks, is Cam Humphrey good enough?
1: It's a, it's a good question. And, you know, when I talked about off the top about linebacker uh, tradition at Montana, you know, a lot of times, I, I as I mentioned, quarterback play, the Grizz have had very functional to even great quarterback play at times, but not necessarily a ton of elite arm talent. And you know, over the years, there's been some really good quarterbacks that get it done and take these, these teams really far. I think of the guys like Cole Berquist. Amazing arm talent. Could be on the move, but someone that, was a little bit different, a little bit of a developmental guy the, in the beginning. A guy like Andrew Sell, who came right after Cole was Another guy who, good arm talent, don't get me wrong, but not necessarily elite arm talent. And both guys can take teams to national championships. Then you see guys that come in with transfers. Montana has had quite a few different transfer quarterbacks. I mentioned Craig Oaks off the top. I remember Justin Roper came in from Oregon and started games. I'm interested by the transfers. Of course, you want to see how those guys pan out. And I'm also interested to see Chris Brown and Carson R- uh, Rothstad. Before I can tell you, how, is Cam H- Humphreys good enough? I am always interested in guys. I think that Bobby Houck, ter- historically, has been able to find the quarterback that, again, may not have the highest level of arm talent, but has the best control of the huddle, has the best control, the best narrative within the fan base, and is a go getter, a guy that wants to go after it and go win the job. And any of those guys, in theory, before we get to see them in live action could probably do that. Now, let's jump back to Cam Humphreys. I think is a good quarterback, a guy that can take you to the playoffs. I don't know if he's a guy that can take you to the Final Four. I don't know if he's a quarterback that can win you a national championship. But off the top, it's pretty nice to know that you have a guy that has started in some games. He did struggle. I think it was against Portland State. He, threw, uh, he had a couple games with multiple interceptions. Regardless of that, he passes the eye test. He also is functional within their offense, which is a a hole over a guy that has been a part of a a staff that has now been complete for several different seasons in a really good way for the Grizz. Probably their biggest strength right now is that coaching staff staying intact and being able to build on on scheme and and concepts that they have implemented the last couple seasons. I love a good quarterback competition. Bobby Houck runs them almost as well as anybody. Like I say, it's not necessarily the practice in, practice out, who completes the most passes. There's a lot of intangible factors and mind games that he likes to play. I love to see a groom that has a couple transfers, a couple young guys, and what we'd call an embedded starter to start the spring season. I think it's a fantastic position for Montana football to be in.
0: Uh, I think Coach Houck likes guys that can be multiple-year starters as well because, uh, you know, Cole Berquist was in and out of the starting lineup as uh, for pretty much four years. Craig Oaks was a two-year starter after he transferred from Colorado. I know Cell was only a full-time starter for a year, but he had two years under his belt by that time he was done. So, I don't see him a multi- multiple-year starter as well. So, I think that uh, it is true. I think also we see this a lot with, with Coach Houck's program. A lot of times when you're hearing the scuttle of the guys that are the fast risers as young guys, and then H- Coach Houck starts touting, those guys as well. It takes a lot to impress Bobby, but if he starts touting those guys, then you know it's real. And I've been hearing about Chris Brown for a better part of a year. So you have to think that Chris Brown's gonna at least challenge Camp Humphrey. And that'll make both that'll make everything better because either if Humphrey beats him out, that means Humphrey's gotten better himself. If Chris Brown is the one to do it, now all of a sudden maybe you have a guy who could be a three or a four year starter. So and you also mentioned, that was an interesting comment, you mentioned the narrative. And I do think that a Montana guy, for what Montana's trying to rebuild and for what they're trying to salvage as far as the way that the program has fallen, they got it back on track now. And I think that having homegrown talent, I mean, you could you can say what you want about it, but it's what people in Montana, it's what people in Missoula, it's what Grizz fans want. And if you have a quarterback who can be the star and, and lead the way back to glory, return to dominance, as they like to say, uh, I think it is. It's good for the overall narrative surrounding your program. Brooks Nuana, Scott on SportsMT.com, joining us on Nuana is Now. Talking all things spring football for both Montana and Montana State. Brooks on the Bobcat side of things, yeah, l- losses of guys like that were such stars for Jeff Choke, guys like Kevin Cassis, Travis Johnson, Bryce Stirk defensively. Those are big losses. But as far as some of the original stuff they were doing on defense that really made. That scheme tick and really prompted that seven game winning streak down the stretch that got them into the semifinals for the first time in 35 years. I thought the adjustment to play the big nickel, to play the three safety look and rotate both JoJo Henderson and Braden Conkle up into the box sometimes is kind of like a, a big nickel linebacker or, a, you know, that three safety, big safety look was good for Montana State. I think those guys sort of worked as a three headed monster that was kind of like a mechanism. So, how difficult is it to replace those three guys on the back end if you're Montana State?
1: It's, it is difficult. And like you say, it was a unique system. I think that it was one of the – we hear it all the time. We, we hear coaches say, we're going to see what we got. We're going to build our scheme around the, the talent we have. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always happen. A lot of times coaches fall back on what they like to do. I think that was a situation of we can't let these three guys not play. So we have to figure out how to get them on the field at the same time. With some of the size, too, as you mentioned, with some of the, the nickel linebacker stuff, you can play a guy like Brandon Conkle who's 6'2", 210, in the box. Cause he is a standard fcs linebacker size um it's hard to replace i think one guy you can't sleep on and i think the big sky conference as well as you know somewhat nationally is, is is aware of is is ty Okada, a guy that you know started out as a as a, as a true corner kind of jumped into the nickel role has played a decent amount of safety um a walk-on guy from the beginning a really interesting player he gets after it, man he he throws his body around he's tough as nails smart really too. impressive player for them i think he's going to smart too i think he's going to continue to develop i mean he the way that he, the opportunities he was given how much he sees those opportunities and put himself into a substantial uh playing time i think he broke his, uh, uh, something on his hand at one point which limited him just a bit but i think he's a guy that, that returns is super versatile kind of in a, in a way, that Swiss Army knife that can play that nickel spot, he can blitz from the nickel spot, he can play the run. A much smaller guy than anyone you mentioned, but I don't think he's someone to sleep on. As well as they did bring in two transfer safeties that I think are both interesting. You know, Jeffrey Manning from, from Oregon State and uh, Chacho Alula from you, you Arizona, got if I say yeah, that name
0: yeah, you got it. Uh,
1: those guys I think are both really interesting as far as guys that have played in the Pac-12, uh, guys that have experience, you really... It's something that even if they aren't stalwarts in their defense, they are depth pieces that can put reps in real games. The other thing I think is super interesting is James Campbell, a guy that played receiver at Montana State, a Florida native who has put his time in in Montana State's program, um, a burner, a guy that was more of a deep threat that then became kind of a nationally recognized but definitely within the Big Sky Conference, a recognized special teams player, a dynamite, a dynamo on special teams. They move him to safety. He's an upper class and I believe he's a senior. It's a little bit confusing with this gap year and, sure. this, and the 2020 off. But James Campbell, the guy that says, "Hey, man, I've been playing football for four or five years in the college level. I'll do anything to get on the field. I've proven it on special teams. Who knows? Maybe he's a guy that can also provide some depth and a guy that's played a lot of football. So while none of those pieces really flash or stand up like Jacqueline Allen, Brayden Conkle, and JoJo Henderson, I still think that there's at least depth there if you can have the solid front seven that they've had.
0: Well, And the other, the, the other guy that's going to contribute for sure is Rylan Ort from his little settle because he's just a really smart player. He was a high school quarterback. He's it's a hard great... for
1: me to not name Rylan Ort. He He's a guy that pops, too. He's a guy when you watch, he pops.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's really good physically. I mean, he's a great athlete. I mean, he was a state champion javelin thrower. Uh, we've had him on this show multiple times. Great kid, really... Really smart guy. I think he'll pick up the scheme really quick. So uh, I think he'll have a, a contribution as well. And it's the same story. Uh, the Montana State secondary—they do have Tyrell Thomas coming back on uh, on uh, at corner. and so, uh, Same with Lavelle Price. I know before Jeff Choate left, he talked highly about Tyler Bohannon as well as Eric Zambrano. But here's the thing: is we just named a whole bunch of guys, and they're all going to get their reps during spring. But here's the, mo- the other interesting part: with the zero year, with this NCAA waiver where you can transfer right away, basically these guys—I'm not saying they're battling for roster spots. All the guys we're naming—they're absolutely on the roster. They're absolutely going to be in the mix. They're absolutely going to get some playing time. But if you see guys that maybe aren't fitting what you want, you can also go out and hit that transfer portal again, and you can go fortify the challenge. So, I think they have a lot of pieces to build on and start from, uh, but I also think that the rosters for both the Grizz and the Bobcats are going to be in flux here uh, moving forward. we got a couple more questions to get to. we also got one more break to get in the books, so keep it right here. 102.9 ESPN, Missoula, Brooks, Nuwana, SkylineSportsMT.com. Join me, Coulter Nuwana. is back. Just three minutes. We'll be back answering just a few more questions about Grizz and Bobcats spring football. I'm Coulter Nuanas, you're listening to Nuanas now. Happy Friday. I know a lot of you have probably been off work for a little while. Thanks so much for riding home with us or whatever you might be getting into tonight. Be safe out there, but have yourself a good old time. I'm about off, too. About seven minutes left. Talking spring football here on Nuanas now, 1029 ESPN, Missoula. Maybe you're watching in statewide television, SWX Montana. Brooks Nuanas from SkylineSportsMT.com. Joining me, Colter Nuwana, is on the Rangish Brothers RV phone line, talking about a variety of pressing questions for both the Grizz and the Bobcats. And, Brooks, one more question for the Cats. Both these schools have quarterback competitions going on right now. Tucker has got A dozen-plus starts under his belt. Um, He became solid down the stretch in 2019, but he has never been a world-beater. A guy that can manage a game for you, that can help you win games, but he's not going to win a game for you. They brought in a transfer in Matt McKay, but that was a previous coaching staff. Now you have a fresh start with a new coaching staff. You have a new offensive coordinator, a new scheme. You have three different guys on your roster in Matt McKay from North Carolina State, Tucker Rovick, and Casey Bauman, who have all started Division I games. You have a new head coach in Brent Vegan that is a known quarterback guru, having developed Brock Jensen and Carson Wentz at North Dakota State and Josh Allen at Wyoming. That said, we mentioned it off the top, Montana State's scheme has largely protected the quarterback. They've made the playoffs without being able to really throw the ball because they can run the ball so well and they have so much misdirection. And when they needed to throw it, sometimes, especially down the stretch of that 2019 year, they figured out a way to do that. So the fact that they have a scheme change that likely won't protect the quarterback as, a, at, a, as a, at that high of a level, not not as high as what they were doing uh, these last two seasons uh, with Jeff Choate and his staff, where are we at with the quarterback competition at Montana State?
1: I think that we all need to wait and see what Matt McKay is, is going to be like. We, we we know what Tucker Robig is. We've we've given him a lot of uh, not criticism, but we we have definitely dissected his play for the last several years in a very big way. I think it's something that is important to say is you know it's not easy to be on a semifinal team in the FCS, and it's not easy to go into North Dakota State in the semifinals and starting that game, that, that takes a lot of perseverance and a lot of work that goes into that. So I think as it stands now, it's probably Tucker big job. Matt McKay, when we saw him in the one scrimmage briefly during um, what, was, what would be last this last fall, interesting player. Um, I, I think a guy that with well, the more reps he gets in the system, probably a little bit more talented. Um, but can he get, gain the huddle? Can he, can he get the team on his back? That'll be really interesting to see. But right now I think it still Tucker big job.
0: I agree. I think that just because of the way that they've sort of established the leadership role that they want him to have, I mean, he was on the search committee for the head coach, and so I think that, I agree, I think that he's going to have the the inside track here. A couple more questions uh, on the Grizz. The biggest issue that Bobby Howe inherited when he took back over the job, um, entering the 2018 season, was on the lines. He talked extensively about it. He was very candid about it. They have just poured so many resources into recruiting both offensive and defensive linemen, whether you're talking about developing walk-ons like Colton Kintz at offensive tackle or bringing in transfers like Dylan Cook, who was an NAIA quarterback and now is an offensive tackle, Cordell Palanz, uh, a junior college guy, Moses Mallory, a junior college guy. Um, they've had an influx of guys across the board. They switched Cy Sermon from defensive tackle to offensive line. They've done as much as they possibly can to try to uh, uh, fortify that offensive front. On the defensive front, they've really gotten with the model of recruiting really talented young guys. And now all of a sudden you got guys like Patrick O'Connell, Alex Gubner, Eli Alford, Jacob McGorry, Braden Deming. These guys are now uh, been in the program. I'm, that's the thing I'm most excited to see. Sean Rainey swung by Grizz practice today. He brought the roster, we were going through all those young defensive linemen. Like Eli Alford, he's up to 295 pounds. Jacob McGoring, he's weighing 295. A kid like Noah Cashmitter, who was a uh, gray shirt by way of Grangeville, Idaho, he came in as a 205-pound outside linebacker. He's 260 now. He's going to be a guy that maybe can play on the inside of that defensive line. McGoring can't do anything but go up because of his physical skills, his prowess. You also have the transfer guys like Joe Babros uh, that can play on the front as well. So the question is, though, all of that effort has then produced solid, but not yet elite play on either of the lines, and that's a, such a huge key to the way that Coach Houck wants to operate the system he wants to run, but also just the the identity of the team that he needs the uh, the lines to be good and intimidating and mean because that's how you set the tone of the brand of football Montana wants to play. So, are the lines at Montana fixed?
1: Uh, Well, I think that they've done the best they absolutely can with it. I I, I think the biggest reason for that being is trial by fire. You know, I mean, get guys playing time and experience at those positions, especially for young guys, especially for developmental guys, is huge. We look at what Patrick Patrick McConnell did off the edge last year. I mean, a guy that who really knew what he was going to be coming into college. And he was dominant, man. He was Excellent off the edge. He could play the run. He got after the quarterback. He had a great motor and something special about his style. I think that when you entrench yourself in, in a program like Montana and you get some playing time and you start to produce, it really only helps build on everything that you have potential-wise. So I think where they're at right now is world better than it was when Bobby Haupt got back for his second tenure here at Montana. Uh, but we'll see as far as the offensive line has been good, not great, like you said, and it's going to be really important. I think defensively, those young guys are going to take a jump. And you mentioned Jacob McGorry. I mean, gosh dang, pass the eye test. Talk about a guy that is long and big, really nice-looking athlete. And I love Alex Gubner as well, a guy that has been really successful as a young guy playing on the inside of that defensive line. I think a guy that will also continue to take strides. Um, is it perfect? We'll have to wait and see next fall. But right now, I think they're as good of a place they've been in the last half decade.
0: The trajectory is certainly on the way up. All of this is going to be really fun to analyze because I do think that as much as it has truly sucked to not have football, I do think that some of the things that I like about the game of football the most, the offensive and defensive line play, the development of young guys, the fact that they haven't um, had to endure the rigors of a season but instead have been had the chance to put on the weight, to put on the strength – Two years older is two years older, period, no matter how hard you're working. But if you're working hard, you can really accelerate your physicality, your your body structure, all that stuff. So I, I just think that...
3: Connect to more.